Welcome to the podcast. I'm Isaac Carroll, and this is What Do I Know? Thanks for joining with me. It has been quite some time since my last podcast, and for that I apologize. I was kind of forced to take a step back and reevaluate my heart, to evaluate my ministry. In my last podcast, I told you that I was plagued with questions. Why do I do what I do? The biggest question I was facing was, is there a difference between a believer and a disciple? Now, for me, at least, this question was quite profound because I'm a discipleship teacher. And I believe and I've always believed that our actions and how we live our lives matters to God. I mean, if it didn't, Adam and Eve eating the apple in the garden would have made no difference. And Matthew 28, 19 is the directive straight from Jesus. Go make disciples of all nations. Now, if you study scripture, the requirements of being a disciple, well, it leads you to absolute conformity to Christ, to become like Jesus. And you can find this truth spread completely through the New Testament. Problem with that is, is that it can look a lot like living by the law. And we know that Paul teaches us that no one is justified by the law, but by faith. Grace is given to us by God as a gift to all who believe. Now, it's always been my understanding that faith is defined as an action. This action is a testament to our belief in God. Because we believe we act a certain way. We act in accordance to his commandments. For Jesus himself said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Now, I had gotten so lost in this teaching and this understanding that I found myself basing my closeness to God by how well I was following his commandments. And anytime you take your eyes off Christ and put them on yourself, you're destined to fail because we're human. We're not perfect. No matter our effort, no matter how hard we try, we're going to fail. And I fail. And God knew I needed a course correction, so he brought me under conviction by using these these questions. Now, when you're faced with conviction and questions, then what happens? It leads you to doubt. Doubt is a very powerful weapon against a Christian. That's when the devil comes in. When we are our most vulnerable and doubt makes us vulnerable. Now, I know to be a teacher, to be even a preacher, you have the ability to lead people down wrong roads, to become a stumbling block to people. And the last thing I ever wanted to do was lead people astray. I've never wanted to be one of those teachers. Matter of fact, I teach against such things. That was the whole reason why I started Teaching and podcasting is the first place was to spread the truth. And if I was not spreading the truth, then I had become the very thing that I hated. And this led me to a dark place, a really dark place. So dark that I even prayed to God he would make me mute. That he would take my ability to speak. And by doing so, keep me from ever leading anybody astray. Because God knows I have enough problems with myself. I don't, I can't be responsible for other people. And you kind of make yourself 
responsible for why what you teach. So I'd gotten to a point where I thought I was going to have to, well, I believed I needed to give up podcasting. I didn't know how to fix or know if I needed to fix anything that I had done in the past. Anything that I had taught was everything that I taught biblical. Was it God's truth? Because I can't trust me. And with doubt in my heart, I wasn't sure. It was at this time that I was reading through the Bible, I came to Galatians. And it was when I read that Paul had went to Jerusalem in Galatians 2. I'll read it from verse 1. It says, Then after an interval of 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. It was because of a revelation that I went up. And I submitted to them the gospel in which I preached among them among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation, for fear that somehow I might be running or had run in vain. You have to ask yourself, this man had doubts? And at this point in time that I was doubting, this really was profound to me because mm, we have to look up to Paul, right? I mean, he wrote a majority of the of the New Testament. He had such a big role in the New Testament, especially to us Gentiles. And this man was doubting the very, the very gospel that he preached. I mean, we know his story, right? We know that he was attacking the church, trying to destroy it. And God, Jesus himself met him on the road that he was blinded and that he was given back his sight, that he was talks about him taking up being taken up to the third heaven, to paradise, where he saw things too wondrous to be even mentioned or spoken. Same man who, who saw miracles at every point in his ministry, how he cast out evil spirits and prayed that a man who was fell from a window who died, prayed to him and he and he returned to life. There was points in his ministry where People would take articles of clothing or, or, or material and he would touch it and they would take them back to people who were sick and they would be made well. I can only imagine that some of the things that he'd seen that God had moved in his life. And this man was brought to doubt. Well, I was, brought, I was actually comforted by this. This actually gave me a glimmer of hope. And it's amazing how God works. It really is because God always provides you with everything you need if you just, if you just look for it. Be mindful of it. At the same time, God in this men's camp was providing me with these, these questions that would lead me to repentance for my own actions, for my own misguided assumptions. He was also giving me the moments I would need to know that he had called me and to know that he had, that he was with me. He gave me these little reminders. And the first reminder came in the form of a conversation I was having with one of the men that I had went to camp with. We were having this conversation that brought back the memory of the night that we got there. We'd come back from, uh, that night service, we got back to our room and one of the guys said, hey, man, look at these verses that are on our door. And each room had its own verse. 
Now, that very morning, I had just finished the podcast, and the podcast was on Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge God. And sure enough, on my door was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And we know that with God, there are no coincidences. For me, this was sort of a validation that God was with me, that I was where I was supposed to be. The very next reminder came um, on Sunday morning. I had the... uh, I had the pleasure of sharing a Sunday school class with a, a, a great friend and, and brother of mine in Christ. It was his turn to lead the class. And uh, as he was leading the class, his wife stood up to, to share. Um, that very night, she had woken up in the middle of the night with a, a, just kind of a need to read God's word. She was she just had this need to see God in his word. And for some reason, there was a number in her head and she couldn't shake the number and she didn't know why she had this number in her head. And she thought, well, could it be? So she turned in her Bible to this very number and she found herself at Judges chapter six and she read about Gideon. Well, the Saturday morning, we were at men's camp we're supposed to take some time to be quiet. Let's have some quiet time and reflect on God. Well, I remember this was kind of, I, I spent a lot of time in God's word first thing in the morning. That's what I, that's what my quiet time is, is, is reading God's word. It's how God, I feel God talks to us sometimes is through his word. And, uh, I knew I wanted to spend time in God's word, but I didn't know exactly where I wanted to spend time in it. So I just, Laid my Bible on my truck bed and, and I just flipped it open and started reading. And I found I was in Judges chapter six. And I read about Gideon and how the angel of the Lord had came to Gideon and told him that he was called and he was to go. And Gideon didn't understand how that could possibly be. I mean, he was the youngest son and his father's house was the lowest of the house of Manasseh and how was he was, he couldn't understand how he was called. And the angel of the Lord said, go, you great warrior. So Gideon asked for a sign. And the angel of the Lord allowed it. Now, because of the sign, Gideon built an altar there. And he named the altar, God is peace. Now, when you translate that to Hebrew, it is, Jehovah Shalom, God is peace. Well, there's another translation of peace because Shalom means two things in Hebrew. It means peace and assurance. And then how peace comes when you're assured. When Jesus was born, it said there was peace on earth. He is our peace. And with, with Jesus, you have assurance. And I thought that was a beautiful thing that morning as I read it. And I was sitting there in class and I was listening to his wife speak about finding peace in herself by this passage. I was reminded that morning and how God had told me to have peace in him. 
through all my doubts that I was supposed to rely on God. I was telling a friend of mine that I feel like one of God's wayward children, that I needed a constant attention, whether it was good or bad. I just, you know, those, you know, kids can be sometimes they just, they want attention. They need attention. And I guess I'm one of those two, one of those children because I feel like I'm always in need of God's attention. <sighs> Shameful, I know, but it's true. And evidently I needed more of it because I wasn't convinced yet. And the third one came the very next Sunday. I had walked up to the Sunday school class and as I was walking in the door, I saw this really kind lady and she had a look of concern on her face as she was scanning the hallway behind me. And I looked around, I didn't see her husband and I, I said, is everything okay? And she said, I think he might be sick. I said, would you like me to go check on him? And she said that she would. And I hurried off. Found him downstairs in his car. He was seated in the passenger seat, just sitting there. So I, I walked over to the car and I opened the door and I said, are you okay? He said, yeah. He said, yeah, I'm fine. I just wanted to be alone. And I said, are you feeling sick? And he said, no. I said, well, if it's a physical thing, I get it. But if it's a spiritual thing, you probably need to be upstairs with the rest of your brothers and sisters in Christ who love you, who can help you. Now, I know this man to be a one of those quiet types. You know, just one of those strong, quiet types. A very, very kind man who's, I, know, I liked him a lot. Always has a ready smile and a word of encouragement. I had him pray over me one time and man, it was powerful. Powerful prayer. So it was a surprise to me when he started opening up and, and speaking. And he talked to me of doubts. Doubts he had about his relationship with God because how could God have actually called him? I mean, he knew what kind of man he'd been in his life. And he knew there wasn't anything of worth that God would you could use. Just didn't know how, how God could call him. How he could be worth saving. And if he was saved and he didn't know how he could do anything to repay what God had given him. It's funny, isn't it? I went down there to find out if he was okay. To help him if I could. I find him speaking words to me that I had spoken to myself. I felt my eyes well up with tears. As I looked at him, I said, I have felt the very same thing. Isn't it crazy? And he looked at me like I had lost my mind. I told him how I felt and how I had doubts about my ministry and all the things that I have I have thought and felt over the last 
few weeks and all the doubts that I, I believed about myself and how I could relate to what he was going through, how I looked out to him and how I felt about him. I told him that I believed him to be a good man and desired to really know God. And he started talking to me and he said, why would you ever have doubts? I looked at him. I said, what do you mean? He said, isn't it obvious? One of the reasons why I come to Sunday school class and why I enjoy being in class with you is because I can feel the spirit move when you, when you speak. I can see the passion you have for God and the love you have for his word. There is no doubt God has called you to, to teach. None. You inspire. You keep us coming back for more. I could see that he truly believed what he said. And as I looked at him, I said, you know, I believe you. And if I believe you, and let's be honest, you're no Christ. Why can't we believe God? <laughs> the question both shocked us and kind of embarrassed us. Because let's be honest, that was the truth. What we're saying is, is that we didn't believe God when he said that he loved us. I never wanted to call God a liar, but the very fact that I was doubting that he loved me, that he called me was doing just that. If he said he'd give me a free gift, who was I to say it wasn't for me? Much different it was than denying God. When we deny that he has saved us, kind of surmounts to the same thing. I looked at him. I said, we have to accept it. God didn't leave a provision in there for us. It says, not you guys. We're not that special. He started laughing. He said, I guess maybe we aren't. I said, well. Every time I see you from now on, I'm going to ask you, do you accept it? He said, I'm going to ask you the same thing. I gave him a big hug and I said, why don't we go upstairs and join the rest of the class? He said, that sounds like a good idea. I know when God says something of importance, he says it three times. And beginning to believe he says it three times because we're so hard-headed that we don't even get it the first two. But I have no choice to forget it because he called me and I'm not going to call God a liar any longer. I'm not going to deny his, his gift of mercy any longer, not in myself. I know that he loves me and I know that he calls me and I know that he loves you too. And we have to accept the gift that he has given us. And that doesn't mean we live any way we want. It's because we love when we don't live any way we want. But it's not about how we live that saves us. When we start focusing on how we live, we lose track of God. And I have to keep that in mind. It will be a, a constant battle for me, but it's one worth fighting. I know when I was at men's camp, the one thing that we really stressed was 
reciting scripture, praising God in Psalms. And I, I know the, I know the Bible. I know, I know scripture. I know what the word says because I spend my time in it. But I've never been a chapter and verse kind of guy. I just, when I read the Bible, I don't go, I don't go. It's Galatians four. And then I start reading. Remember what the word says because I've read it enough times to remember that it says certain things. And those things come back to me from time to time when I'm speaking or, or when I'm thinking or, and I believe in my heart, God uses it to direct me sometimes. So I believe that's how he directs all of us because I believe the word is there when we, when we hear it and when we read it, it's there within us and God can bring it to mind anytime he wants. But when I hear someone reciting it in this fashion, it always impresses me. But if I was impressed by it, then why haven't I tried doing it myself? And besides, God should be honored in Psalms. So I set out to put a psalm to memory. And for some reason, Psalms 23 came to mind. The Lord is my shepherd. I found that it only took me three times to get it to memory. And that was, it shocked me. But I was also very happy with it. I started reciting every time I turned around, even in my head as I was going throughout my day. And I told you before, with God, there is no coincidences. <laughs> as I was reciting these words in my head over and over, the words started speaking to me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He lays me down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me on paths of righteousness for his namesake. You heard a lot of he's in there, didn't you? Not me's. He leads me. He lies me down. He guides me. And yea, though I walk through the shadow of valley of death, I shall fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, why does his rod and his staff comfort me? And I was reminded what the rod was. Jesus said, spare the rod, spoil the child. For some reason, I'd always thought that the rod and the staff were there to protect me from the world, to defend me, but in truth, the rod and the staff were there for me, to correct me. The rod was there to guide me, to put in order the world around me. And the staff, well, we know the shepherd's staff has a big hook. And that hook is there to grab the sheep, to keep it from going astray, to keep it from going too far ahead, to reach down and grab a hold of it when it's fallen. The rod and the staff are there for me, to protect me from me. I had one of those aha moments <laughs> as God was leading me. He goes on to say, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and faithfulness will follow me all the days of my life. And my dwelling will be in the house of the Lord. God's given us his word, his promises. Shows us where 
if we trust him, if we have faith in him and keep our eyes on him, that he won't, he won't let us go astray, that he will provide for us and protect us. And even death has no fear to us for he is with us. And I never understood this psalm truly until he showed it to me. It was just a psalm that sounded nice. My pastor was preaching a sermon this last week, and he was preaching it uh, on Isaiah 66, 12. For this is what the Lord says, I will extend my peace to her like a river. Now he talked about the many different kinds of rivers there were, how some rivers are gentle and flowing, while others are turbulent, with many rapids and waterfalls even. This can be much the same way life is. What makes a river a river is that it's always moving towards the sea. It never stops moving because when it stops to move, it stops being a river. This is what our peace is. Our peace isn't based on how gentle the water's flowing or how turbulent. Our peace comes knowing that God is the one who's carrying us on. It's a reminder to me that I got to keep my eyes on God and I can be of great comfort and of peace and have joy knowing that though I struggle and though I fail, he is always with me. He is always leading me. I can count on the Lord. In this time of Christmas, Jehovah Shalom, God is peace. In this world, we will have trouble. But be of good cheer, for God has overcome the world. In this time of Christmas, we celebrate the Prince of Peace, our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us remember that our peace isn't like the world's peace. Our peace is with God. His promises are truth. They are trustworthy and they are about you and me. He said he would never leave us. He would never forsake us. And there's peace in this. Merry Christmas, everybody. And God's peace fill your souls, guide your steps, and lead you home. Until next time, I love you. Goodbye.